Welcome everyone to the gaming couch. Be it video games, card games, or board games, we'll have a good time playing. So come and join me on the couch. This is your host, Smart Boy. Hello everyone, it's the voice in your head speaking to you from beyond. Okay, no, not really. I just feel like doing something fun for the opening. Anyway, I'm in a good mood today. It's end of the year, 2019's right around the corner. I mean... That doesn't mean anything special for me particularly, or even like for this episode. Just you know, you're in that, you're in that mood. It's that time of year you kind of talked about it last week. Just that time to be excited. Things are happening. Things are changing. Whatever. Anyway, I feel I don't know how well this is gonna work, but I'm feeling doing like kind of like a twofer episode. And what I mean by that is not doing an episode that is two parts, but tackling two different things in one episode and kind of just see what happens you know before it was kind of that formulaic thing where there was a plan i wanted to talk about and here were some things about that idea but now i just want to kind of let it be a little more loose and i don't mean just by script because honestly i haven't been scripting in a long time i kind of like just the natural flow of things coming out but less of just here is one focus point for the episode and more just kind of What's the hot takes today? What's on my mind? You know, things like that. Because things happen every day and thoughts happen every day. And, you know, three days ago I had one idea of something I want to talk about. And then just the other day there was something else. So it kind of fluctuates, you know, throughout the week. So I figured why just restrict myself? Why not just have fun with it and kind of tackle various things? So we're going to see if that works out today. figured, you know, why not? New year, new style whatever justification you want. Anyway, long, long, long time ago when I first started doing this whole thing for no real reason other than I was bored, I talked about difficulty in games at some point. Now, there is a huge difference, I think, between difficulty and a difficulty curve. Because usually when people talk about difficulty, we're just looking at just how hard is the game across the entire thing from beginning to end, how much challenge does it give the player? And, you know, obviously Dark Souls has been like a big thing on people's plates since it was first released, but the whole Dark Souls difficulty of gaming and whatnot. And, you know, you got my opinion on that. I'm not going to harp on that too much. I know last week I mentioned possibly talking about Dark Souls 3. I'm not going to beat a dead horse like that. You know, I, I talked about Dark Souls. I'll mention a little bit this week, but I don't want to beat a dead horse with that. But that's the thing. Like, across the board, Dark Souls is a challenging game. Across the board, Mario is a relatively easy game. You know, there could be parts, you know, in the platforming Mario games that are a little harder than other areas, but normally, you know, the norm is it is easy, and therefore it's set as an easy game. So the difficulty curve is how does that progression go? A game can be easy, yes, however, there is some progression throughout it that keeps the player engaged even in those old 2d mario platforming games when you start at world 1 1 it is inherently different than 8 3 or 8 4 the final castle there is a lot more challenge to those levels still relatively easy speaking across the board however at that end point there's that curve throughout the game each level gets a little harder and harder it kind of challenges you based on what you know fury does something very similar fury you have a very basic setup of abilities 
And each boss you fight, it gets progressively harder and harder. It challenges your skills in new ways. There's that curve there. The very beginning, the first boss, he isn't too hard. You're just learning how to do things, learning how to react, kind of what the game expects of you. And then by the time you reach the edge at the end of the game, you've gone through all these different bosses and they each have a different fight that you have to tackle differently that kind of adds into something you learned from the previous fight, that curve. And I, I am going to talk about Dark Souls 3 a little bit here because I think it's something very important to talk about when discussing the challenge of Dark Souls is how that curve works. I played Dark Souls 3 for a bit, and one reason why I can't stay into it is because of how the curve works. For me, across the board, usually for like my, my entire life, bosses have always been the highlight for me in a game, and one of the things I excel at. Puzzles, I'm okay with. You know, team fights, trash mobs, I'm okay with that. But boss fights have always kind of exceeded in boss fights for some reason. That I get a kick out of a challenge. And a boss regression is just boss fights after boss fights. You know, same thing like first-person shooters. There is no you have testing that. In RPGs, since you level up, there could be element of grinding. A lot of JRPGs that I've played, and I think that's kind of just a general thing in JRPGs, there is that element of grinding, whether you're grinding to gain levels to be even though with the boss, because the boss demands you're at this level in the game. Like, if you're not at this point, you're going to have a hell of a time. You can still beat the boss, but goddamn, you are going to suffer for it. And then also you usually grind for items and stuff like that to assist in fighting, making equipment, stuff like that. Now, that difficulty curve in the game, there's kind of two parts. There is... In sense of RPGs, the trash mobs, just the random enemies that you grind against and you can fight, how do they progress to help you level and kind of test the waters, push your skills, and like, hey, I just found something new, let me try it out. A lot of times you get a new item or a new ability, let me try out a fight, see how it goes. Because in the bosses is, okay, you've gotten, I don't know, let's say a tenth way through the game, or you finish this chapter, whatever it is, there's a milestone, and the boss is there as that challenge for that milestone. So the difficulty curve in bosses is, how does each milestone compare to each other? How much have you learned, have you improved, yada, yada, yada. Naturally, bosses are hard. And I'm not saying that they're hard as in they're going to kill the player, they're going to push you, but they're hard as in compared to the trash mobs you fought earlier, compared to the enemies that you just encounter randomly, they are of the bosses of a higher stature. That you are going to have to use some stuff. You're going to have to use some items. Someone might die in the party, etc., etc. Things happen because this is a challenging fight. In Dark Souls 3, I never experienced that. I found the bosses a hell of a lot easier than the trash mobs. And that that's why I can't keep going. I'm like, I'm going to struggle against this trash mob forever for whatever reason, you know, whatever the reason is. I'm struggling in this area on this trash mob. I'm not talking just like in one area. I'm not talking just about like Borlon Valley. I'm talking in general. Hell, even the high wall of Lothric at, Lothric at the beginning those fucking knights, when I'm still adapting to how the game plays, the knights there kicked my fucking ass. I got to Bort of the Borlon Valley, 
killed him in one shot. Like, I just walked in, fought him, and walked out like nothing happened. I can't stay hooked on a game like that. I can't stay hooked on a game that I can walk in and on the first, maybe second try, I beat the boss without really learning much. Like, yes, I've, and I've watched Dark Souls videos in the past. That's kind of what got me into playing the games was watching those videos. But the videos I watched was never like a playthrough of the boss. It was like, you know, I'm that kind of guy that I like to have background music. So, you know, Indie Mouse top 10 bosses, stuff like that. Just those little lists that people just talk about the boss, but don't really get into the mechanics of it. So it's not like I went in with a lot of knowledge. I just knew who the boss was. But still, watching a video and playing the game is different. I, I can't keep it up. Like, I don't feel like struggling here for two hours and then fight a boss in five minutes. When I got up against the old Demon King, I actually had a lot of fun because I summoned in phantoms because... He was actually giving me a bit of trouble. I knew his pattern, but the way I played, it wasn't really working because he was putting too much pressure on me that I couldn't react to, so I summoned in help. I really loved that fight. I enjoyed that fight. Something with the Abyss Watchers. I love the Abyss Watchers in Dark Souls 3. This entire, like, the concept of the fight and the story behind them both, I love to death. I love it so much. The idea that this is a legion of soldiers that have become corrupt, and when they were awakening for this new linking of the fires, they just started killing each other for various reasons. And so you walk in on a grave full of them, and then during the fight, you know, you're fighting multiple enemies. And we're kind of used to that. It's the third Dark Souls game. Every Dark Souls game prior to it had some boss that had multiple parts, and of course you fight multiple enemies that are trash all the time. We're re-bringing that in again, but then there's that other element of some of the Abyss Watchers fight each other. I think that's a great idea, because then it also gives you a pause, because essentially fighting an Abyss Watcher, it's like fighting another player. That's how they act. They're about the same size. You can parry them, etc. So they have like pretty much all the same, you could say, vulnerabilities of a human player. That is parry, backstep, things like that. Stuff like Bort, he, you can't do that to him. Having that extra Abyss Watcher come in essentially to support you, not directly, it was nice because you could sit back, drink some Estus, drop some buffs, just something to kind of like collect yourself and also never get in between them because their attacks will still hurt you and you'll just get wrecked. And then after that, the next phase starts where it's just you versus one Abyss Watcher who's ramped up a little bit and the music is playing. It's like you just have this mono e mono fight, like you versus the most powerful Abyss Watcher there is, and I loved it. And I died a number of times against that boss. I'm not, like, I did not beat that boss for a try. That took me about four or five tries. And then I put down my summon sign and fought them helping others constantly because everything about that boss is kind of what I expect from a boss fight. The setting is amazing. Not every boss needs an amazing story, but they have an amazing story on top of that with the setting. They really challenge you up to that point because unless you're that guy that skips it and you head to the Cathedral of the Deep... Actually, no, you have to take them out. Be- yeah, they are, yeah, they're the first Lord of Cinder actually you have to take out. Now that I think about it, I thought you could have skipped them. But no, to get to the Catacombs of Carthus and get to the Borlon Valley, and et cetera, et cetera, you have to go through them. So they are the first Lord of Cinder you fight, the first major character in the game. You're expected to have some sort of skill at that point, to be of some level and some ability as a human being, as a player. And they test that. And they test it very well. And luckily, the bonfire is nearby. 
it right before them, there's a bonfire at the perimeter keep, the keep perimeter, what do you want to call that bonfire, and you just walk along the trees. You can run by, like, the two or three trash mobs that are there and avoid fighting them and get into the fight. So it's really easy to get back to, and you can just keep going. And again, if you don't beat them, you can't progress. And I, I love that idea. Like, that is what a boss is for. It's, here is the roadblock, here are the standards, go. And I think the way they are handled is very well as it's it's mono it's not mono mono but of equal skill and then phase two it is mono mono where you're essentially fighting another player who's of your skill level they have pretty good weapons they have some magic because the flame streaks he leaves behind etc etc i'm going to stop fangirling for now you get my point of that curve was done very well in terms of the boss because the previous bosses i wiped the floor with and i just i'm like okay whatever What's the big deal? And I got to Abyss Watchers. I'm like, hold up. This is taking me some time. I loved it. The trash mobs everywhere else, like I said, I've died multiple times against trash mobs for multiple reasons. Sometimes it's my own mistake. Other time, I'm hitting the B button to do a dodge roll, and for some reason, I don't dodge roll. All right. Various things happen. And with that extra level of if you die twice in a row before retrieving your soul, like if you die, then die again before retrieving your souls, or you die twice in a row, however you want to word it, you lose everything. In an RPG where you have to level up, that really turned me off. Because of that curve where some of the enemies are just god-awful powerful out of nowhere. Like, there's a... Luckily, in this game, they're not that powerful, but, like, in the first game, the Black Knights were very powerful. Granted, they were optional for the most part. Maybe maybe the the guy with the Black Knight halberd guarding the grass because shield, I think if you walked that area, you kind of pissed him off, even if you didn't want to fight him. My point is, like, those guys are hard as fuck. And you look at this game where you are punished for dying twice in a row, and the game in general is difficult. It The curve there is off. Because you have these random things thrown in. The entire idea is to, like, you're, you're supposed, the entire concept is you're supposed to die. You're supposed to learn from your mistakes, etc., etc. It's hard for me to buy into, because even when I know how the world works, there are still times where I'm like, and this is true, like, Borland Valley did this to me. There was never a knight that spawned in the corner by the gate after the central bonfire. You go up the spiral staircase. There's that first mob of knights you can fight. There was never a guy that spawned to the left of that little area that you fight them for the first time. And the one time, a guy spawned there. You can't, like, you can't do it to me. The entire point of the game is to learn. And so I learned the positioning of the enemies. And now this guy out of fucking nowhere hits me in the side. What is this? What is this? Looking at other games, the the difficulty curve goes about differently. It goes back to that idea of yet the trash mobs are meant to kind of break you into the area, break in new abilities, new skills, stuff like that. I think Child of Light did it very well. And same with Paper Mario Thousand Year Door, like I mentioned that last week. And hell, even like Super Mario Sunshine, I'll get to that later. There's a very respectable curve where the enemies, like Paper Mario 1, the first one, when you go to Shy Guy's toy box, there is the gray Shy Guy guarding a chest. And it's made very clear that the chest is not important. And it's made very clear by the Shy Guy that he's going to kick your goddamn ass if you challenge him to a fight. All right? Yes, that enemy, like the Black Knights in Dark Souls 1, is very difficult compared to everything else in the area. But that option there, similar to the Black Knights in Dark Souls 1, 
there's that option there to fight him, and it's very nice, because then it's that optional challenge. It's like a mini-boss. You don't have to fight him. You could if you want to, and usually I do. Maybe I'll take a try or two, but I'll, I'll try just for funsies. Or there's that option to give him 11 candy, and he runs away, which is kind of cool. There's that respectful level of, yes, the enemies here are not too challenging, so long as you've been leveling up, which, unlike Dark Souls, in Paper Mario... And in Child of Light, like you're, especially actually not so much Child of Light, but especially Paper Mario, you're forced to level up. As soon as you hit that hundred experience points at the end of a fight, it immediately goes into level up. Like you have to level up. So the game's tailored just right for it. And then each boss, and this is something like Dragon Age Origins does very well. Each boss is kind of unique. You're taking these various skills that you have, and they're putting a new twist on it. Like I know. Going back to the Shy Guy's toy box, General Guy had that entire idea where he's in this dark room and you have to illuminate it every now and then. And then he has his tank. He finally brings out his tank and it's a heavily armored tank, but there is a way to shatter the light bulb on it and do a couple things to reduce the defenses of it to get at it. So it's saying, try out this new partner, Watt, that you got. And okay, instead of jumping on everything, what else could you do? Where it's giving you that time understand the combat and that's something that and this is nothing against dark souls that dark souls in other games like it could never do because it's turn-based you have that time to think when you're in a real-time game i know final fantasy with the active time is kind of like it but it's similar to real time there is no pause to think about what you're going to do the enemies are going to attack eventually whether it's real time or the atp atb gauge active time battle gauge those enemies are coming after you they're not waiting for you that asks something different from the player, and it works for those games. It definitely works, and I will give Dark Souls credit for that, where that combat, it works. It does work very well. Where was I going with this? I just lost my train of thought. Wow, I blanked. Right. The turn-based combat, it allows the game, it allows the bosses, and allows the curve to be a little harsher on you. You can run away. You can avoid the fights. And should you go into a fight... You have your turn to think about, okay, what can the enemy do? Whether you use the title ability like in Mar Paper Mario or you just fought them before and you kind of know what you're getting into, you can sit there for a moment and be like, right. <laughs> you know, this is what I'm up against. This is what I'm seeing. I got to go. Now, I do want to give, like I said, I, I kind of mentioned Dark Souls does it well with that. I also want to give praise to Dragon Age Origins with how they handled that curve quite well. It is real-time, and the trash in that game, the random enemies you fight between major battles, cutscenes, whatever, aren't that bad. They're respectable. And in that game, I've beaten it on regular, and I went up and I beat it on Nightmare Mode because I've played it a lot, and I love Dragon Age Origins so much. Never played the third one. Two kind of, like, me the wrong way not like a terrible game but it, i didn't like it as much so it kind of turned me off from the third one i don't have ne next gen consoles and everything so i never played it yell at me if you want to but origins was really nice because by the time even if you jumped into nightmare difficulty right away the trash was definitely hard don't get me wrong in nightmare mode trash was hard yet if you jump right into nightmare mode the assumption this is like for every game the assumption is because you're doing the hardest difficulty, you've either beaten the game before and you know what you're getting into, or you've played a number of RPG games like it, that you'll have an idea of how to handle everything going on. And so Dragon Age, even on the Nightmare difficulty, 
the trash might be hard, but it's a respectable hard. It's a, it's a hard to kind of like push you a little bit and be like, you like make sure you know what you do. Make sure you understand everything. Now, this is something we're going to bring up later, but I think it's very important to mention now. Because they push you every now and then, they want you, especially on Nightmare, to know everything that is going on. It pushes you to learn, which I did not know how to use the first time I played through the game, was the battle commands. And now, for those of you who have yet to play Dragon Age Origins, I know, like, I talked to my friend, apparently, uh, Final Fantasy XIII, Zodiac Age, or Zodiac Sign, or whatever, that one, does something similar to this, where any party members that you're not in control of, because in Dragon Age, you have four party members, you only control one of them at a time, you can assign a list of battle commands to each party member, so that when you're not controlling them, it'll follow this distinct list of commands. Step one, step two, step three, step four, so on and so forth, saying... If this is a thing, then do this. You know, for any computer science people out there, it's like a Boolean. If this, then this. All right? First time I played through the game, had no idea what the fuck it was. Had no idea how to do it. It was it was tough. It was definitely tough. Now, those trash mobs, because they're not like... Some of them can definitely push you, especially the optional content like the DLC. Oh, boy. I remember when Golems of Amgrok first came out. That, oh, that was an experience to go through. Granted... By the time you get to Golems of Amgrok, you've already beaten the main game. You've beaten the Awakening DLC. You are of level and of skill as a player to handle it, but goddamn was it still difficult. But that's the thing. It, it still pushes you to definitely understand your party and definitely understand how to use the battle commands to the best ability. Because by the time you got to the bosses, for the most part, each of those bosses, even like the small, even like the side, I'll call them mini-bosses, side-bosses, or whatever, the first ogre you fight, and then, heck, even the uh, sloth demon they have to take on when you go to the, um... Wow, I can't remember the name of it, but it's the whole, like, the realm that the mages go to, and people go to when they're dreaming, and the fate... Is it the fade? No. Might be the fade. I honestly can't remember. But you're in the sloth domain, that sloth demon you fight. He has those various phases where each phase kind of fights a little different, each of those mini-bosses and the main bosses add in something new to the formula of playing. Like, Broodmother, I remember that was a hell of a time for me because I was mostly melee-focused. And the Broodmother was able to just grapple melee people, destroy them with a lot of damage, and she summons in other mobs, and she has those tentacles that do a lot of damage. That took me forever. But with that, with those bosses, you reach a point in the game where... All of them are about even, because you can go to any of the main areas in Dragon Age Origins first. So the curve is there, but it's more like a plateau. Because at that point, all these bosses are kind of equal, in a sense. And it's more a matter of, what kind of gear have you gotten so far? What do you know? It's more just testing your abilities of a, as a tactician. Testing your abilities of knowing how to use the battle commands properly. Yes, having the extra potions helps. Yes, having special gear helps. Obviously, having the levels helps. But if you're able to manage your squad properly, and that's really what Origins is testing, that's really what that curve is there for, do you know how to handle your squad? That curve remains constant. The enemies before every main boss test those skills of making sure you can manage resources and manage your squad. So by the time you reach a boss in that area and the arch team at the end of the game, 
you know how to make it work and you know this is what my squad is capable of and this is what they have to do when this happens. I can coordinate them properly. Child of Light does something similar but more of just understanding elements. Each zone is in a different area and though a lot of the enemies, there is some reskinning of enemies, yes, a lot of shorter RPGs do that. Because they're looking to more tell the story than have this expansive battling system and unique mechanics, there's a lot of reskin enemies, but it's very deliberate that, okay, yeah, I just fought that rock enemy before, but now he's on fire. Right. I have an idea of what his base abilities are, and now I have an idea of how his, how his abilities can change and his defenses change. And it's understanding that triangle of water, fire, lightning that Child of Light has. I loved it. And then the bosses, as much as the game didn't push too much on being incredibly challenging, each boss was very cool, and even though for how simple it was, it did have some interesting bits to it. Heck, even at the end where you fought just the dragons, your stepsisters and stepmother, who turned into dragons, they had very similar ideas where they would spawn in ads, or they started with them, and it's just, can you handle ads on top of a boss? Because before, that only happened like once or twice where the enemy would start with ads, like mostly the ogres did. But it really came down to the main boss that they were able to re-summon them. At that point, it's like, yeah, you know how this area works. Because the boss is based on the area that you're in. You know how the area works. You know the defenses of the enemies in the area. And obviously the boss is going to reflect those defenses. So be ready. You know what you you know what to expect of this challenge before you. Do it. Go ahead and try it out. Do it, etc., etc., etc. Games that have that linearity to it are stronger for that sense because the curve can remain constant where each boss reflects the area that they're in. It reflects the skills that you've learned up to that point. Something like Enter the Gungan, I love that game. I love Enter the Gungan. It is roguelike. I do enjoy roguelike games. The challenge that roguelike games always face, though, especially stuff like Binding of Isaac and Enter the Gungan, part of it is your skill and part of it is just what is given to you. You know, things like Child of Light, Dragon Age Origins, Hell Even Paper Mario, you get to choose what you have at that point. As you level up, you get to choose where to put your points, what abilities to unlock, what passive things to get, etc., etc. But stuff like Gungan and Isaac, the curve has a lot more to work around. Because it's partly your skill and partly what is given to you. I remember I've had runs in Isaac and I've had runs in Gungan where I'm like, I'm just done. Like, even Slay the Spire, I'm like, I get through Act 1, I'm like, I'm not even going to bother finishing this run. Simply because the stuff handed to me that I was allowed, that I had to work with, just wasn't working. And then also because, and this especially happens in Gungan, because it is randomized every time and there's random bosses for each area, it, it kind of pushes back on that curve that... Child of Light and Origins worked in very well, even Paper Mario to some extent, where the bosses was based on the area you're in, but because these bosses can be randomized, it's three different, like, Enter the Gungan is three different bosses, and then Isaac, God even knows how many for each, you know, floor. How do you adequately test a player's skill? You know, to talk about Isaac, the bloat. My God, if the bloat shows up, I'm like, fuck me. Because the bloat is incredibly Difficult because of the amount of coverage he has on the field, how much damage he can deal out. And if I have an amazing broken build, I don't care because I can nuke him in two seconds. 
but yeah, I never want to fight the bloat. I'd much rather fight just about any other boss for that area than the bloat. And it's hard. Like, the whole point of that is to give you that replayability. Because things like Dragon Age Origins, it's hard to replay because it's an epic. It's a very long game. Linearity is fine in those lengthy games. But in shorter games like Gungan, because you can do a run in like an hour, of course they're going to randomize it. So how do you make that curve? How do you balance that curve there that is healthy? That it will challenge a player legitimately on skill? Because... I've had it where I had to take on act, you know, like floor two, floor three bosses in Gungan and Isaac with barely anything because I just, there was nothing that was useful to me. It either hindered me or like, this is going to do nothing for me. It's just taking up space. It's not going to work. You know, it's something that I think sometimes people forget when either developing a game or just talking about games in general. It's, yeah, this game is really hard, or this game is really fun, or this game is easy, or whatever. Like, your opinion's based on that level of difficulty of the game. So I ask you, what makes it difficult, you know? As much as I just said that Gungan and Isaac, I mean, I haven't played Isaac in a long time because I have Enter the Gungan, I have Slay the Spire, and other things like that, that I do enjoy more than Isaac. It's like, those games, yeah, they challenge me. They definitely, especially Gungan being a bullet hell on top of being a roguelike, they really challenge me. And Slay the Spire, we'll get to that in a minute about the bandwagon that I completely missed of the new update that was done last month in November. As much as those games will always kick my ass, I always go back to them. I will always go back to them. When in Dark Souls, I won't go back to. In games, and I've had it with a couple other games. Like I got two games I'm looking on my desktop right now that I haven't touched in a long time. One of them is Vaporium, and I really love the setting of Vaporium. I it it reminded me a lot of Bioshock. If you ever played Bioshock, you would love the setting of Vaporium. It feels like it's a Bioshock dungeon crawler. I'll be honest, that's what it feels like. So I love the idea of it. I never picked it up again because similar to something in Dark Souls. I reach this one area where there's these trash mobs that fucking kick my ass. And unlike Dark Souls, where you can go back and grind in certain areas, Vaporium, there is no grinding. There's no going back to grind. Like, you're just in this area. So fuck off. You just got to learn. Like, for me, it it kind of ruins the experience. Because a lot of times, and Enter the Gungan, and even in Isaac when I used to play it, I could do a few floors in a run and, you know, come to terms with, like, this ain't going to work. I'll just restart. Like, Okay, I lost maybe 30 minutes of progress, perhaps, but at least, you know, maybe I unlocked. Like, there's at least something you get for it, I feel like. You unlocked something in these games because there's so much to unlock. Or you just learned about a new pattern. Like, there's something kind of you learned without really losing anything but those 30 minutes and those three flows you did. In Dark Souls and in Vaporium, I'm losing some substantial progress. Like, Vaporium, yeah, I could save it all the time. But that just becomes a hassle that I'm just doing the same fight over and over again. And in Dark Souls, that lose the 14,000 souls I had because I thought, and this is actually what happened, I thought if I just peeked around the corner, it would aggro the one enemy because the others never aggroed until I got into the room. Nope, this time all three of them aggroed and I lost the 14,000 souls. Right there, like, I don't feel like fighting the same trash over and over again. Because on the bosses, I'm okay fighting them over and over again because the curve expects this is the challenge you have to face. Like, this is a challenge of your skill to this point. 
in Paper Mario, in Child of Light, in Origins, in Dark Souls, you name it, in Slay the Spire, the act boss, you name it, that boss is saying, here I am, you've had enough time to get these resources, let's go. And beating them means progress in some substantial way. It unlocks a new area. I get a cool new weapon, a new cutscene, the story progresses. Something very substantial happens, and I will always go back to that boss fight, even if it's kicking my goddamn ass, because I know just on the other side of it, there is something amazing. If a trash mob keeps killing me, okay, what's on the other side of that? A couple experience points, more trash to fight? Like, the trash means nothing. It It is legit. In most RPG games, most of them, standard enemies are the cannon fodder. It's hero fodder. They're here to be slain by your hand, and they're here to provide some challenge for you as you explore the world. Fury was able to completely circumvent that by doing just bosses. Same thing with Titan Souls, where it's just one hit kill. One hit on the boss, weak point, you win. They hit you once, they win. The setup of that, it allows a lot more enjoyment, I feel, because everything goes into the bosses. And okay, if you die, yes, you lost the progress to the boss, but that's it, only to that boss, there is no fighting through trash again, you know, there's no drudging through the swamp, there's nothing else that goes on other than just walking back to their door, face them again, or in Fury, where it's just, you hit the retry button, and boom, you're back to phase one in the boss fight, I'm a lot, I, I love that a lot more, and I'm more drawn to that kind of thing, where, yes, the boss is going to keep, keep kicking my ass, how easy is it to access it again? And in Dark Souls, the few bosses that do challenge me, I think about, like, what kind of shit do I have to go through to get back to them? Because that, it, I don't like going through that. It's hard. It, I find it as another challenge on top of the curve that isn't needed. The boss alone, at least in Dark Souls 1, is going to be a challenge. I said Dark Souls 3, I didn't have much challenge with the boss, so I can't say as much on that one. But in the first one, and even the second one to some extent, you know, trying to get back to the last sinner in Dark Souls 2, I dreaded that fight. The fight was a challenge. It was a one-on-one fight, and if you managed your resources just right and you were very patient, you could pull off a heal in it and still beat the sinner. But if you died, bitch, <laughs> you gotta go through a lot. You gotta wade through that water. There's a lot of things you have to go through. You have to get back on the elevator that's guarded by a bunch of guys with crossbows. Like, it turned me off because the boss alone is difficult. And I have to risk dying multiple times to get back to them? Like, where, where's the thrill in that? Like, okay, you can say, yeah, that's the whole point. It's hard mode. That's just not for me. And I think sometimes people forget that when they talk about games. It's what all is going on into that difficulty. And this is going to lead into my other point, like the, the twofer part I want for this episode. It's also based on, like, what games did you experience first? Because that alone kind of turns people in certain directions. You know, the reason why I first got into Dark Souls, part of it was the challenge, but also part of it was I actually really enjoy the aesthetic of Dark Souls. I really enjoy how the leveling up system works in it, that you can pick a starter class and then kind of just go wherever with it. I think that's amazing. Hell, I, my favorite class that I did in Dark Souls 1 was a warrior mage because in Dark Souls 1, for whatever reason, the deprived is actually pretty powerful. All stats start at 11. I picked that because that meant I could get beginning miracles if I wanted to. I could get beginning sorceries if I wanted to. I could do some 
decent beginning weapons, armor. I, I could use everything in the very beginning that was standard for all classes at that point. And then from there, I, was, I built up. I built up a lot of endurance for equipment load. I built up a little bit of strength to use a claymore. And then I jacked up my intelligence to use sorceries. I ended up walking around in full plate, having good poise, and just using spells. I loved it. And that's what I loved about, like, that's why I went back to the Dark Souls series to try out Dark Souls 2 and Dark Souls 3, because I love how the character leveling up worked. And I do love the appeal of some areas. Like, some of the aesthetic appeal is great. I think the story is ass, and I, every now and then, I'll read things in games, because it pertains to the world I already know that I'm interested in. Like, Dead Space... I remember playing through Dead Space 1 and 2. I read every fucking log there was. Every text log there was, I read it. Every audio log, I listened to it. I, I waited and listened to it. And same thing with the video logs. I watched them. I was intrigued by them. I kept going through and building up the lore of the world because it gave me enough to work with in the beginning. Dark Souls, you have to dig. From the very beginning, you're just about digging to get lore. Like, Dark Souls 1 says... Yeah, the uh, the fire's dying. Like, every game's kind of the same concept. Yeah, the fire's dying. There's some chosen dude or girl that's going to relight it. Go. Basic story. From there, like, okay, where's the world? Like, I have to build the lore by reading everything. I, I'm not a fan of that. Because on top of that, it's already a difficult game. Like, it, I'm just trying to tie us back to the difficulty curve. If you're struggling with the curve, if the curve demands a lot of you, what is it that's bringing you back? Is the world engaging enough that you want to see more of it? You know, and this is going to pull right into to the second part of this episode of the idea of the nostalgia, the nostalgia glasses. Sorry, the nostalgia glasses. Some games people find better than others for various reasons, especially if they're like first experience with games. Me, I, I watched episodes recently online, like various let's players and stuff like that. And they brought up this concept. And I wanted to kind of talk about it because it, it meant a lot to me. I will always say that Super Mario 64 is a pretty goddamn good game. And I will always tell people that Kirby 64, The Crystal Shards, is a phenomenal game. And one of the greatest Kirby games. Because it was the first Kirby game I ever played. I loved it to death. And I love all Kirby games. I've played a lot. Not all of them, but I've played a lot of Kirby games. I think all of them are great, but I will always go back to Kirby 64 and be like, that's my shit, yo, because of the nostalgia of it. Now, I already talked a lot about I, I couldn't keep going through Dark Souls because of the challenge of them. Even though I, I'm really intrigued by the RPG elements of it, I just can't go back to it. Shocker to all who just heard me say that. I still remember Paper Mario Thousand Year Door and Dragon Age Origins, both of them, I did not beat my first time. And what I mean by that, and any of, the, any of you who played Origins or Paper Mario or has any idea how an RPG works knows that those games take a lot of time to beat. Because I'm not a speedrunner. I'm the kind of guy that I take my time to play through the game. You know, collecting, stuff like that. I spent hours on Paper Mario Thousand Euro. I spent hours on Dragon Age Origins. Got all the way to the final boss in both of them. And got my ass fucking handed to me. <laughs> now, Paper Mario 
I could backtrack to the Palace of Shadows and go grind a bit and stuff like that. In Origins? No. When you get to the Archdemon, that's it. There is nothing. There is a vendor just before him that has a couple of supplies. That's it. There is no going back to other wor- to other areas of the world and leveling up and practicing your skills like that. You're there. Both those games, I got up to that final boss, and no matter how many times I threw myself at them, could not beat them. And yet, I still went through and replayed both of them from the beginning to get to the end and beat them. So why, might you ask, why is it that in those games, after spending all those hours, I would still go through and beat them, but in Dark Souls, I just, I have no care, even though it's a very similar thing. It's simply because of just the times. For me, Paper Mario Thousand Year Door, I played that, and Origins I played when I was in high school. Thousand Year Door, if I remember correctly, I think I was in middle, I want to say middle school. Yeah, I was in middle school. Why can I not recall that properly? I was in middle school, maybe late elementary, but I was young. I was young, okay? Those two games were some of my first major epics that I played. Lengthy RPGs. Like, I played Final Fantasy VIII. I played Final Fantasy VIII for a bit when I was even younger on the PlayStation 1. I went through that a bit. Yeah, I remember that. But I never I never beat it. I, I ran into the speed bump where it got really bad for my party real fast. And I never picked up. I never picked it up again. And then when I tried to pick it up again, there's some issues with save file corruption, yada, yada, yada. I won't go into it. Now... Because of, like, the age I was when I picked up Paper Mario and I picked up Dragon Age, I reached this idea of, like, I don't want to just give I – like, I just don't want to stop a game, especially since both these games – I was at the very end. I was at the final boss. I went through them again, I think, because the challenge was presented to me, and I understood the challenge, and I understood what I did wrong. And because it was my ch- – like, when you're a child, you're just all over the place. Like, you're just full of energy, and I'm like – Nope, I'm going back. I, I didn't have any concept of time when I was younger. I didn't have any concept of, you know, if I spend an hour on this game, that's an hour less I had to do other things because I had no responsibilities. I was a young shithead. You know, I, I was a kid. I was a teenager. So, of course, I'm like, yeah, I can spend three hours playing through this, you know, this section again. What else do I have to do? So, you know, fighting those two bosses, fighting the Shadow Queen in Thousand Year Door and fighting the Arch Team in Dragon Age – I learned what I did wrong, and I learned very important lessons, and that was part of it. The challenge in games, whether they are nostalgic or not, the challenge in the game, when you learn from it, you learn something well, will bring you back. So I still remember the issue I had with Dragon Age Origins the first time I played it. I remember it very well. I was having just a lot of fun BSing around with it, you know? I was... Uh, I started, I want to say, because I'm trying to remember how the classes worked. Yeah, I started as a mage, and I learned you could be the arcane warrior, where you could, you're kind of like a, a fighter who has, like, spells. You start as a mage, but then you can start wearing armor and stuff like that, and it's based on your magic. I did that, and I learned about the blood magic power, so I'm like, oh, this is, this sounds amazing. I'm going to do a lot of damage. I was, I was, I love the idea of just carnage as a kid. I mean, I still do to, today to an extent, but when I was a kid, I'm like... I just, the way I saw it, to overcome the challenges was to just deal more damage than the enemy. Like I said earlier, I had no concept of how the battle commands worked. 
So I was a really weird hybrid of Blood Mage with the Arcane Warrior, okay? And because I had I had the only idea of damage, I didn't bring uh, Win, Wayne, Win. Wow, can I, not, I cannot remember how to pronounce her name. I, I apologize. I never brought her out, even though she was a big healer. I never brought her out because I never had the concept of, you know, how much damage the enemies could actually do and how proper healing works. So I brought Morgan with me, and near the end of the game, I'm like, oh, fuck, I'm getting my ass handed to me. Quick, have some heal spells, Morgan. Just do this. And, uh, yeah, suffice to say, it didn't work out. The Archdemon ripped me to shreds. And so at that point... I kind of learned from all these challenges, from the, the difficulty going on in the game, I kind of learned, I'm like, oh, let me learn how to, like, and then my next playthrough, I actually sat at the camp and went through those battle commands and read a lot to be like, that's how this shit works. <laughs> learning how to do the battle commands and also learning, I learned the importance to an RPG, very important is controlling the battlefield both with CC and a good healer. From then on, every playthrough I do in Dragon Age, if I am not specking myself as a healer, I bring... I'm going to call her Wynn. And if that's wrong, I apologize. I bring her... I, I go to the Mage Tower first every time now to always grab her. Sometimes it drives me nuts a little bit. I'm kind of like, I don't feel like doing this and... Yeah, I could respect Morgan to be a healer, but I won't because then I got to buy the books and this and that. Like, there's a lot that goes into it. So I always bring her along as a main healer because I learned, yeah, in RPGs, there has to be some sense of healing. No matter what is going on, I need to have some element of good healing that I can control the battlefield with. And ever since, like, then I went to Nightmare Mode, I had no problems. Yes, I had the X challenge of the enemies are a little stronger. You know, the, the standard stuff that RPGs do with the difficulty when you select a difficulty. But I understood the bosses. I understood what the game demanded me. And I was able to adapt the strategies to the curve that was presented to me throughout the game. And as a kid, like, I love that idea. I love I love challenges. Like, as, as a person, I usually don't do something that's not much of a challenge for me. So I went back and revisited the game because it was a challenge. I'm like, I got so far. I'm going to do this again. And now, in most RPGs, I do that. I try. I will persevere as much as I can to a point. And on the flip side, with Thousand Year Door, I learned something com not completely different, but I learned something a little different. I got to the Shadow Queen, and I learned, because when I was playing through the game, my understanding of the difficulty was, again, the enemies hit harder. How do I fix that? More health. Most of my leveling up went into hit points. I had like 50-something HP, I think, when I fought the Shadow Queen the first time. And for any hardcore Paper Mario players out there, you might be like me and have a fucking heart attack hearing that. Like, I, to that day, I had like a little bit of heart attack. Like, why did I do that? Because I learned I can have all the health in the world. The enemies are still going to hit me. I learned from Paper Mario the idea of utility. Now I'll have maybe 28 HP max and hell... I know of viable ways to play the game with only 5 HP, and I want to do that. At one point, I want to do a run through Paper Mario where I'm always in danger, where I'm always at 5 or below because of the badges. You know, from there, I, I got a little bit from Dragon Age, and I learned a lot from it from Paper Mario was the utility of the items you bring and the setup of how, of how you create kind of your party or your character. 
you know, those two lessons, because when I played through again, I put a lot more investment into badge points. And to this day, I always do. I learned a set of badges that work very well for me, where I'll regain like six, seven HP and FP a turn, have some good defense. And I learned how to do the super guard timing pretty well. So any big hits that would come at me, I can shrug off for the most part. And I, I went through the game again and I fucking did the pit of a hundred trials felt goddamn amazing doing it took on the shadow queen beat it i'm like goddamn this is amazing you know i still go back and i still play that game today hell a, a while ago I, I booted up origins again to play through it again and i'm like i'm gonna go straight into and this is hilarious i'm like i'm gonna go straight into nightmare difficulty building a cc warrior tank and i'm gonna beat this again and fuck me i got my ass hand to me more ways than one and i haven't picked it up since uh, mostly I have a job now, and that's that's something that kind of goes into the nostalgia-ness, and get to that in a minute. haven't picked it up since then. I really should get back to it. It's like, you know, yeah, Dark Souls, I'm not revisiting. But Origins, I want to revisit. Paper Mario, I want to revisit and try a new challenge. You know, why? Because those games meant something to me. I feel like I learned something from them. From Dark Souls, I honestly, I'm not feeling I'm learning anything. Like, the challenge is there, and okay, I learned the enemy's attack pattern, but from there, like, what am I getting from the game? Like, I some of the lore is pretty cool, but I don't feel like digging around the internet. Like, I only learned about the Abyss Watches because I actually was genuinely interested in them, and I decided to actually look them up online. I'm not going to do that for the entire Dark Souls series. I'm not going to do that. You know, like Hollow Knight, I'm looking at that right now. I want to beat Hollow Knight, but it suffers that same thing that Dark Souls does for me. And Vaporeum, it's like, the lore is very obscure to me. And at this point, like, I'm, I'm already with platformers, and the boss fights in it are pretty cool. I like them, but it's like, I'm really not getting anything from it at this point. Because when I was a kid, there was a lot I could learn and a lot that I kind of brought into my life. You know, that nostalgic view of, like, these games were amazing because of what it, what it meant for me and what it defined in me as a child. Hollow Knight, Dark Souls, like, I'm not really getting thing, anything from that. Hell, Paper Mario, like, you know, Super Mario Sunshine, I recently popped that in my Wii and started doing another playthrough. And, like... You know, in a couple hours, I got, like, 30 fucking sprites pretty easily, and I'm clearing out each level as I, you know, each area as I go, excuse me, pretty easily. But I'm not, I'm not sitting down and just breezing through it. Like, I, like as a kid, I'm not saying I breezed through as a kid, but as a kid, I would sit there and play that game for hours on end. I still remember Sprite, the sixth sprite at Hotel Delfino, which was the return or not the return of the man ray, but it was the return of like, that electric goop and you had to clean the beach off. I remember days on end. I was I was like I was not that good at it. Days on end trying to beat that goddamn episode. And it, nothing was stopping me. Like I just kept going back to it. Now, again, I had no concept of time and I was like, I'm not gonna let this I'm not gonna let this beat me. You know, so in terms of nostalgia, like when I reuse that game, it's really easy to me and I'm breezing through it. But it's like as soon as I kind of like run into this road bump, like I'm try I was at Rico Harbor doing Yoshi's Fruit Adventure, this eighth episode, and you have to use Yoshi to hit the fish, to use those platforms to get up to the shine sprite locked in the cage that has that yellow goop that only Yoshi can destroy. Yoshi, like, Yoshi died a few times on that because I missed my footing on the platform and fell into the water. Like it happened like three or four times. I'm like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> Like, I don't have the energy to go through it because I'm not I'm not that energetic kid anymore. I'm like, I have other things I want to do with my time right now. So when it comes to that nostalgic view, I am going to go back to Sunshine 
and get that sprite because I want to because I like as a kid those games define something in me. Dark Souls, Hollow Knight, Vaporium, it's not really defining anything for me. So I'm really now looking for what's a game that I can really sink my teeth into because that's what nostalgia is in a sense. You're revisiting something because for you, it means something. something you can sink your teeth into. It's like, I remember playing this. I remember that happening. I remember this as a kid, you know, this 10 years ago. I remember playing with my friends on the couch. Like, there are those memories there that you can sink into, that you can really latch onto, even if that difficulty curve is there. And I know people that still go back and play Dark Souls 1 and do various crazy modded runs and stuff like that because Dark Souls meant something to them. I don't know what, because... It's their story, not mine. Something about the challenge or whatever, and they always go back to it. So I will always go back to Sunshine. I will always go back to Origins and try something new to test myself, like trying this new CC. Instead of just being a straight warrior tank, using Taunt to pull aggro, I'm trying to use various, like, every character. I'm trying to have every character that I have in my party have various debuffs they can apply to the enemy and do a little more complex CC so that as a warrior, it's not so much tanking that I have 20 skeletons on me, it's more tanking that I am taking the big enemy and everything else is kind of just getting handled pretty easily by my party with CC. I've never done that before. I'm trying it now and I'm, I'm finding a little bit of a challenge. I'm like, okay, how can I how can I get at this? Because I know what the game wants for me and there are memories there from it that I'm I'm kind of revisiting. Like, hey, I remember this. Oh, I remember that part. You know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Help. There's, there's very linear games out there that people will play like Hellblade Center with Sacrifice. I'm still thinking about going back and doing another playthrough of that. It's a very linear story, and after you beat it for the first time, you kind of get everything you need from the game, essentially. You know, same thing with Transistor, which is a really fun game. Same guys that made Bastion made, if you know Bastion. You know, I'll still go back and replay those two games, even though the story is very linear and it doesn't offer much for me. Simply, you know, I go back to it because there's something there, I feel like. I kind of lost my chance out there kind of meant something to me like hellblade made me feel a certain way so i always go back to it even though i know it transistor i kind of want to go back to because the story was really emotional same thing with hellblade the story was very emotional in transistor and it kind of made me think about a few things and you know fury there was that challenge that i was seeking like I, i'm going back to fury because it, the challenge i sought in life when it came to games was there and the story really captivated me. As much as it was very simple, it was very captivating the way they told it. So everyone talks about games in different ways for various reasons. This game is hard because I suck at platformers. Or is it very hard because the game demands a lot from you? Is it a pretty linear, easy-to-understand curve? Or is there a spike where at one point there is just this god-awful hard moment, Spyro, Ripto, or, you know, uh, Spyro, Year of the Dragon, you go to Boggly Swamp, is that what it's called? You know what I'm talking about, the swamp level, where you have to play a Sheila and escort the two, I don't even know what they're called, but they're like, they're kind of like, like a mouse on two legs, but instead of a tail, they have like the giant glowing orb. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Those guys, you have to escort them with the bombs to free the eggs. God, fuck me. That's a difficulty spike right there because that part was really hard. I came back to it later and I, I finally 100% completed the game. But like, So what makes a game, like what makes people go to a game? You know, what, why do people say it's difficult? Hell, I remember watching my niece. I, I When twin, the Insane Trilogy came out and I got it on my PC, 
I was playing around with it on my brand new laptop while I had her sitting next to me on my PlayStation 1 playing the original trilogy on the PlayStation 1. Wow, it was just like, it was an eye-opener. I'm like, I know Crash Bandicoot isn't like a hard, hard game, but watching her, I kind of remembered like, yeah, I remember struggling there. And I kind of like giggle at it now, like watching her struggle. I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I remember that part being a pain in the fucking ass. Also go back to like Dark Souls, Vaporium, Hollow Knight. I mean, I mentioned it before, I'm older now. There's other things I want to spend my time Like there's painting I want to do for miniature war games. There's, you know, games I'm trying to create. So I'm like, there's nothing sinking my teeth into it. To I, I can't sink myself into it to keep going back. Crypt of the Necrodancer, I go back to every now and then. I've still yet to beat the Necrodancer. Fuck off. That, I hate him. But I go back to it every now and then because the way the game's set up, it's very captivating to me. I'm able to kind of get my teeth into it. And it awakened something in me that I was looking for. Like, I was looking for a certain type of game, and Crypt of the Necrodancer did it for me. I beat Skyrim, but I haven't played through it again because it just it didn't scratch an itch I was looking for. You know, I'm looking for games because nostalgia is great, and I will play through Origins again. But I don't always want to play through Origins. I want something new that makes me feel the way Origins made me feel. That, you know, I played through Hat in Time and I loved it because it reminded me of Sunshine so much. And I wish it was longer. I wish, I honestly wish, I would have gladly paid 60 bucks for a, a Hat in Time game that was as long as Sunshine. Because I'm like, this is what we've been looking for ever since Sunshine. Like, we want... I want Sunshine to also, like... It'd be great to have Super Mario Sunshine 2. Hat in time with the way you kind of maneuvered and everything and the way the game was set up, you could definitely see Sunshine in there. So, of course, I bought into it because I'm like, hell yeah. Yeah, I'm looking... This is something I'm looking for, you know? Slay the Spire, and recently I got a game, Deep Star Derelicts. Came out in September. It's not completely polished, but I'm going back to it because, like... There's games that I'm looking for that challenge me again. And Deep Sky Derelicts, at least, there is an element of, you know, it's turn-based, slightly randomized roguelike in there. Like, there are various dungeons that get created, but once you explore the dungeon, it's like the dungeon set in stone. But if you do a new playthrough, it's a little bit, like, it's the 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 way the ships are set up are different, et cetera, et cetera. But there's squad, there's classes in it, there's a squad lineup, and I'm using the stuff I learned from Thousand Year Door and the stuff I learned from Origins about, yes, I'm building a character that has substantial healing in the way of shields to keep my party going. I have someone on buffs that can buff my people. I'm looking for some CC. Like, that game, one, I love the aesthetic of it. I love the artwork. If you ever played Darkest Dungeons, think, think of Darkest Dungeons in space. People say, people say it's like Darkest Dungeon in space. Now, that's 100% accurate, but that gives you a good idea of what to expect, and I, I will use that example. So, I'm, you know, that and Dark Dungeon, I got into them because it was another challenge I was looking for, but it was also something familiar. Dark Souls, as much as I love the way it's set up, and Hollow Knight, as much as I love the look of it and the feel of the game, it's not familiar to me. I never played Metroid when I was younger. I never had a chance to play, you know... The first Metroid game, I have, you know, Metroid Prime for the GameCube, and my buddy gave me his copy of Echoes, the second game. I never beat Echoes, and I beat Prime once, but I never went—I I picked it up again one day, but I never played through it again. 
because there's no itch for me. There's no nostalgic itch for me because I didn't play them as a kid. And so I'm like, okay, yeah, cool. I'm not saying they're bad games, but I can't get into them because the, it. I'm not relating to it. I, I think, I feel that a lot of times the games people pick is because it's tied to something when they were younger, which is going to make it very interesting, you know, five, ten years from now to see what a lot of big game companies do. Because ever since PlayerUnknown's Battleground, there have been those arena, you know, those battle arena style games, and Fortnite's really been capitalizing on that. And I'm a, I'm a school teacher, I'm a high school teacher, and last year I'm like, what the hell? These kids are just going on and on about this game, and I don't understand why. You know, I never sat down and talked to them about why I think it's not, a, why I think it's not inherently a bad game, but why I don't find it enjoyable. But that's simply why, because when I was a kid, that kind of style didn't exist. I'm not saying Fortnite's bad, but it's definitely looking at a different demographic of people than me. And so it'll be interesting, because, I mean, Call of Duty already done it. The new Call of Duty game, they have an entire mode dedicated to that battle arena style. So I'm intrigued to see how games go about in the future, five, ten years from now, when this demographic of children, when they grow up to be, you know, my age, if you're around my age, you know, mid-20s, 30s, whatever, what are games going to be like? like is, is there still going to be a market for us, the, the older generation, we'll call it? I think that's partially why indie games are pretty big right now because a lot of indie games, they are created by people, twenty, you know, the mid-20s, 30s range, some 40s, but still, like, created by those people that were around and alive when games were kind of coming out in the big market. I'm not saying when games were first made because that's like Pong like a long time ago, but when games first became like a household name, the first video game consoles... The NES. I still remember when the NES came out. I remember my friend having one. Like, I remember that shit. And a lot of these indie developers, they make games because, like, based on that. You know, Had in Time, small indie studio, boom, Sunshine, Shovel Knight. Goddamn, like, that is an amazing game, and I will preach about it. And if you look at Shovel Knight, it looks like Super Mario Bros. from the NES and the Super NES. Like, those developers played those games, and so they brought out, like, Hollow Knight. I'm willing to bet money that the developers of Hollow Knight were really big Metroid, because like, I never read anything about Hollow Knight. I'm willing to bet that they were big friends of Metroid when they were younger, and they played it a lot, and so they made a game like it. And again, I respect Hollow Knight, and I love the look of it, and I love the feel of it, but I just don't continue playing it because what does it speak to for me? Like, it, I never played Metroid as a kid. So it doesn't really appeal to me, but there's plenty of other games out there on the indie market, like Deep Sky Derelicts, not made by a big company, but it's it's speaking to me on some level, you know? It's introducing something new to me, because I never played Roguelikes when I was younger, because that was never a thing until Isaac brought it, brought it up, but I played Isaac in college, I'm like, I remember that, that was pretty cool, let me check this out. So it's it's kind of hard. Like you get stubborn, you know. When you when you play games, when you watch movies, when you do anything in life, you get kind of stubborn because it's like, I remember it like this, or I remember doing this as a kid, and like you want to keep going back to that. So yeah, it's hard to experience new games. So it, part of my you know my disdain for Dark Souls, I honestly think there are some issues with it. Like Dark Souls Three, I could name a list of like very small things that kind of piled that made me not like it. Like this game was made in what twenty. 
2015, 2016, whatever, like, you know, pretty fairly new. Why are there graphical glitches in it? Why are there rocks in the smoldering lake that are just floating there after the ballista shoots the, the ground for the cave-in? Why are the, the rocks just kind of floating there? Why didn't they hit the ground? Why does the curse rod of Greatwood, especially when doing on a multiplayer server, why are his legs outstretched and just go through the ground? And when his, his hitbox, his butt, hits the ground, boom, the legs pop up. Like little things like that. That that definitely gave me some ugh, to the game because it just the little things kept building up that made me not be fully connected with the game. But then it's like there's nothing I can get hooked into. Like it doesn't remind me of anything. I'm not reminiscing anything. Like it is an RPG game, yes. And I played them when I was younger. I brought up Origins a number of times. I brought up Paper Mario a number of times. Yet it's set up differently, and it's one. Very little dialogue. The dialogue that's in it, especially in Dark Souls 3, I will give it credit. Again, I will I will give credit and respect where it's due. has some good dialogue in it and has some great music in it that does push you in certain ways. But, like, Paper Mario had a lot of really funny, witty dialogue. Origins had a pretty interesting story that, you know, early on, after, like, pretty much, pretty much after the prologue, after you were rescued from Ostagar... Boom! You know, I talked about it with Logan. Like, boom, Here, here is the thing. Go. Like, goddamn. And you learned along the way. So I'm, I'm looking for those games still. And some of them, I'm just getting into Like, I, like I said, I kind of like roguelike games. You know, Slay the Spire, Isaac, Deep Sky, Derelicts to some extent. Enter the Gungan, definitely. Crypt of the Necrodancer. But I got roguelike to see here. And... The thing with Rogue Legacy is there's I, – I played it a little bit, but I just haven't played it that much because it's not it's not hooking me into anything. There, there is – the idea is, yes, you you build up the keep to get stronger people as you go forward. And it, it's reminiscent of kind of Dark Souls in a way and other in-games like it where you will die, but every time you die, you can get a little further because you improve in some way. You know, the money that you earned or whatever or you learn about the boss, what what have you. Beyond that, there's not much there. There's not much to really show my progression. Like, there is no leveling up in it besides building up the keep, stuff like that. In things like Enter the Gungan, you're unlocking a bunch of guns. In Isaac, you're unlocking a lot of new abilities. Essentially, every time you beat a floor boss with a different character or whatnot, you get something new. Like, it scratches that itch a little bit, you know? And in Deep Sky Derelicts, every time I take I take out a derelict ship... I can go back and my guys are maybe a little stronger or I got some new gear and I'm like, let me see because it there's deck building elements in deep, deep sky. Derelict. I'm not going to go into all the details right now, but there's, you know, building that deck based on the new equipment I found, or I learned, yeah, I got through that fight. And at one point I almost stopped playing the game because early on there was this dungeon that just fucking wrecked me, but I kept going. Cause I'm like, I know what the dungeon's asking of me. I'm going to make this work, and now that I found a way to make it work and I got the right gear for it, I'm getting through the game again without too much of a challenge. I'm enjoying it, because so, I'm like, I, I now know what I can do. I'm, I'm getting those challenges, and I'm learning from them, and that's, that's really what I want. It's like, though the, kid, the games I played as a kid, outside of like Smash Bros. and those great party games, the games that I played through single-player... It was teaching me something. I was learning something from it, either as a person, because that can that can legit happen, or just learning about the game. Like, oh, okay, let me you know, let me try this problem solving. It's a big thing. Games that don't give me a chance to really hardcore problem solve, I just don't get 
into when I'm unable to see the clear reason why I went down, why I lost, why I died. It's hard for me to keep going because I'm like, I don't know what's going on here. So whatever, I'm not going to keep dying or keep struggling to try and find out. I'm just going to walk away. I'm just not going to worry about it. <sighs> ah, recap? No, no. I'm just I'm just having a grand old time. I hope all of you are because this is going to be the first incredibly long episode we do uh, in a long time. And I'm totally cool with that. But I, I, I guess the broad idea I'm going with here, the, 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 the two-parter I was talking about, is one, difficulty curves in games – and really how abstract they are and how different they can be depending on the game you're talking about and for each person individually. And then overcoming those challenges, I think in some way, does go back to nostalgia. It really goes back to your first experiences. And I'm not necessarily saying nostalgia as what you played when you were five, but just the first game you played. Because the first game you, you played, you could have been when you were 20. You know, I know a guy that is into video games, but first time he started playing video games was in college when I introduced them to him because his family just never wanted to buy game consoles in the past for him. So, you know, he likes certain games, you know, based on his first experiences in college. So that's fine. That's cool. That's that's whatever. If if you get this nostalgic feel, you're going to overcome things. And when you're young, Yet you're going to be drawn to certain games. Like I was drawn to platformers like Mario. Hell, I remember getting Conquer's Bad Fur Day and my mom having a goddamn heart attack because she didn't know what the game was about. Granted, I played at a friend's house once, the multiplayer, and I loved it. I had no idea what the story is about. So I was playing through the story. We were like, oh. <laughs> but I was always interested in platformers when I was younger. And then I, I kind of – that built me into – you know, first-person shooters I never really got into. But that kind of built into this entire RPG setting because – because of my love, because I really liked Mario, that built into Paper Mario, and because of Paper Mario, that built into Dragon Age Origins, and then the whole RPG thing, and D&D, and everything. And so right there, the nostalgia glasses, I will say that, yeah, some games, I really love Sunshine. I think Kirby 64 Crystal Stars is one of the greatest games ever made. Hell, Rocket Knight Adventures on the Sega Genesis, like, my top three. It's right there in, like, the top three. And I can tell you right now, all the high schools I show it, that I talk to it about, you know, the high schools I teach, they're all like, what is this? Some of them are kind of like, okay, that's pretty cool. But, like, they just have no attraction to it because where's the nostalgia? Like, they are interested in different games. They're introduced to games differently that is hooking into them. I'm not saying that every kid is not going to like old games, but it's much harder for them to get into it because where's the feeling there? Like, they, they didn't start there. So yeah, Rock and I Adventures, hard-ass game, but so many memories of it and things that I was getting from it, I kept going back until I beat that goddamn game, and I feel great about it, and I do it every now and then. I just boot it up. I'm like, let's fucking go. Let's do a run. Let's, let's just play through this. Boom. A couple hours. Feel great about it. Don't think about it. Think. Uh, next time you're having any, any sort of conversation, think about where, where do games get their difficulty from? Is it an easy game with just a spike? And then that's why people say it's hard because there's a difficulty spike. Is there some – is it some weird chart like my experience with Dark Souls where the low point, the easy parts of it are legit the boss fights, which then turns me off because I'm like the bosses should be hard, but they're not. And the trash mobs are hard, so it has this weird like up and down spike. Or is it a relatively 
smooth sailing game like Fury where the challenge kind of always goes up until, spoilers, if you never played it, at the end, like the last guard, you know, the last jailer you fight is really easy because the story asked it to. The rest of the game, though, it felt good because up to that point, you're like, oh, like it hits you like a goddamn truck because of how the difficulty worked into the story, how it was intertwined. Keep that in mind and think about it. Are you saying a game is good, fun, enjoyable simply because of nostalgia glasses, simply because you played it as a kid and you're like, fuck, yeah, this is a great game and you're just being blinded by it? Like, There's a big difference between the nostalgic glasses where, yeah, you're thinking this game is great because you played as a kid and the mob mentality. Dark Souls is a bit of a mob mentality behind it that people just say, get good because, oh, it's a hard game. Okay, why? Why is it a hard game? Fucking Undertale, okay? I don't think Undertale is that... I, Undertale, to me, is not the game-breaking, you know, thing that we needed that, that like, broke the genre. One-Shot did it a hell of a lot better. If you've never played One-Shot, go out, play One-Shot. You will not regret it. It's amazing. It's on Steam. And it's cheap. All right? It handles fourth-wall-breaking a hell of a lot better than Undertale does. But a lot of people are like, Undertale's great! The mob mentality took over. The community kind of took over there. Talk about games. Keep your mind clear. Okay? Objectively. Abstract. Why was the game hard? Why do you think the game is good? Don't cloud your judgment. That That is the summation of this rant. Do not let your judgment get clouded for some reason. Okay? Take a step back. And this is something you can do for many things. I'm not going to go into it. But I'm talking about just in general for many, many things in life. And I think that's part of what games taught me. I've developed a much more critical eye because I was able to, as I grew up, I took a step back and I'm like, why did I play this game? You know, I started doing this whole podcasting thing because I started getting more and more ideas about games like, thinking about them more and more in depth and why I really got into them. I started making games for the same reason. I'm like, what is it that I enjoy in certain games? And, you know, something I, I, I thought when I played Super Mario 64 on the 64, I was thinking, like, this level would be so much cooler if it had this. And I started, like, thinking it up and, like, drawing it out and stuff like that. I started, like, developing it, okay, by myself. I'd had no code. I, I couldn't code it, but I was just starting to develop it. It's part of why I started making games is I'm starting to think a lot more critically. I'm you know, having that critical eye of these games and do that, okay? Call me a party pooper if you want. And you could say you're the person that's like, you play games to have fun. Go ahead. If that works for you, do it. I'm just putting this out there as like the longest episode I've done to date. To think about it, Okay. We got a new year coming up. Maybe you go back, you you know, the challenge I gave last week, maybe you go back and you played an, a game from your childhood and you thought about it like, right, like, this is why it was good or, oh, I never realized, like, this little flaw in it, like, this silly little thing in it, you know? Keep that in mind. Keep it to heart. I, I know I'm going to. I, I'm definitely going to continue to think about these things this way and be like, why am I really into this? You know, it's not to, get it like into a moody depressional thing but just to keep it to myself be like right like that's why i'm here 
That's why I'm playing these games. That's why I'm sitting here waiting for Kingdom Come Deliverance to finally finish downloading on my laptop because my Wi-Fi sucks. That's why. All right. So I'm going to I'm going to call it. I I think we've had enough <laughs> of this topic for now and we'll just see where the new year goes with it like just kind of see what pops into mind by next Sunday, you know, It'll be 2019 first episode of the new year. Huh, we'll just take it from there. So I want to bid you all a farewell for now. 2018 is about to end. We have less than 48 hours, less than 36 hours, really, to 2018. And goddamn, when you really think about it, it's a little intimidating at times. So for now, I'm going to sign off. I'll see you all in 2019. And I hope you have a fantastic new year. Take care.